Good morning, family. Name is Pete, and I get the privilege this morning of sharing with you what it is to live a practical Christian life out of the book of Philippians. Now, if you have a Bible, get your Bible out. Philippians is in the New Testament. If I tell the kids it's God eats popcorn, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, let's go to the P, the popcorn bit, and that's, that's the book of Philippians. Now, a bit of context, this was written by, by Paul in about 62 AD. He's writing this out of, out of the prison, out of a Roman prison to the church in Philippi as a letter of encouragement to them. They have sent him a gift, a financial gift to help him, and he's writing back to them to say a couple of things. He's saying, the guy you sent, the guy with the very big name, Ephaphrodites, he's okay. He's not sick anymore. He's good. He's coming back. I want to encourage you in your faith. I want to tell you that I'm in good spirits, that I, Paul, whilst I'm in chains, I'm okay. I'm in good spirits. The Lord has got this. And then he's saying, cool, I want to thank you for your support, your prayers, and your encouragement. So this morning, wherever you're at, there's a whole bunch that God wants to tell us about. Thank you. I don't know what you're at. I don't know what you're going through, but let's be encouraged by this story out of the book of Philippians and Paul's letter to us. And so this morning, I want to introduce you to who I am. And there's a picture that's up there. And what's quite wonderful is my kids have decided this morning, they went to the first service kids church and they decided they wanted to come and listen, which is wonderful and quite scary because now I'm fully accountable to whatever I say when I go home. But what's wonderful about this picture is that it says that let your manner or let your life, let the way you conduct your life, let your everyday be worthy of the gospel. Philippians 1 verses 27. Let who you are, let it resound with the sounds of praises to the king. And so that your lifestyle becomes something that is worthy of the gospel. And the gospel is just that, is that it's the message of Jesus to those around us. This whole sermon series has been titled Memoirs. Now, last week was my big brother's 40th birthday party. I know he looks 45. But I want to say it was quite a wonderful celebration. And so the picture on the right is my brother, Jono. He has a striking resemblance of my dad. They both have an ever-increasing forehead. And what we asked was that uh, I I sent out an email to his, his friends from South Africa and all over the world. And I asked for one word that they felt would describe Jono. And so a friend of mine did the artwork. And then out of each of the letters to Jono, we took words. They were words of encouragement, sometimes words of humor, sometimes words of challenge. But in essence, the picture on the left says to you, Jono, the Labrador. Okay, that's a big word that came out. Jono, the palm tree. Jono, the encourager. Jono the smiler. Jono the one who wears tight pants when he runs. And so all along it was memoirs of Jono. But there was also challenges to Jono around you've got to this point. And there's been all these things in your life that have got you to this point. These character traits, your experiences, your friendships. But Jono, one of them was, what are you willing to sacrifice for God for the next 40? Jono, what has God called you to in your significant time of your life? And I thought that is so true in terms of what we're talking about out of the book of Philippians and where we find ourselves today. Let's recap the last three weeks. The first week, we said, Broer Tertius van Wooster af, 
hy het mooi vir ons verduidelik van die, van die, die, uh, no, no, lost now. The passion of having God or the gospel as the most central part to who we are. And he said that a real life of living for the gospel is centered around that story, centered around the Jesus story. So our life of living for the gospel is just that. It's about partnering with Jesus, partnering with the gospel message. It's about us being active in advancing the gospel. It's about us defending the gospel. It's about us being worthy of living the gospel. And it's about us having a faith in the gospel. I love the fact that Tertius told us we can live completely for Jesus. When we know the message of the cross, we can live completely for Jesus. Then the second week we had uh, Uncle Ant. I call him the velvet glove. So Ant is just genuinely kind and, and he's just such a beautiful person, but he packs such a powerful punch. And part of what I love about Ant is his amazing knowledge or love for the word of God. And he just sat and he quoted scripture after scripture and it oozed out of him because he loves Jesus and he loves the word of God. And he spoke to us about the lordship of Christ being central. He spoke to us about the example of Christ being something we can emanate and follow. And he said we can actually practically live the most message of the gospel. And he gave us a couple of steps of fearing God, of shunning evil, of watching our mouths, of abiding in the word of God, of living generously, and of giving thanks. And then last week, we had uh, an itinerant minister. Now, we had Pierre come back from overseas, and I just love Pierre. I don't know about you guys, but I love having them back in the home. It just feels wonderful. And we want to honor you and love the fact that you shepherd this family with such a devotion to Jesus, which is so evident. And so Pierre challenged us around to live is Christ. And that all the other accolades that we can build up in our lives are rubbish compared to knowing Jesus. That our success or our families or our work or the money we make or whatever the things are that we build our identity on is rubbish compared to the fact that we are found in Jesus and living in Him is the most important thing that we can have. And that is where our identity is in knowing Jesus and being known by Jesus is what makes us who we are. And so today I get to share with you on Philippians 4. And uh, many theologians call it the joy letter or the letter of joy. And it's Paul's final letter to the church. And it's a bit like a dad wanting to say, this is my final letter. This is really, really important stuff. And I want to impart it to you. And so for me, my firstborn, her name is Hannah. Okay. And Hannah is a name that we believe that that, that we thought of, in a way. With God's help, we thought of it. But the second name is one that we believe truly God gave us. And it's Hannah Joy Miller. And Hannah Joy is not Hannah Happiness Miller or Hannah Sunshine Miller. It's Hannah Joy. Because joy is something that is far deeper than a situation or a circumstance. Joy is about a sense of who we are in Christ. Joy is about a sense that we know that we are loved and we are embraced and we are cared for by the King of Kings. And that gives us a joy. It gives us a sustenance. It gives us an ability to stand. And that is what true joy is. And so this morning, as we look to this letter and how Paul encourages to center our lives on Jesus, I believe we'll find joy and we'll find hope in the calling that there is. 
Now, before we get to Philippians 4, Philippians 2 has this amazing poem in the middle of it. And I want to say to you, this is the, the, the nuts and bolts of Philippians. And this is what the nuts and bolts of Paul's whole life is centered around this particular passage. In Philippians 2, verses 6 to 11, it says, Who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory and the praise of our Father. Paul is saying this, that is the central thing of our lives, the story of Jesus, and how we get to reflect it is a privilege, and it's an honor, and we should live a life that is humbly in gratitude for the great price that Jesus paid for us. And so as we explore Philippians 4, I want to say to you that the story of Jesus is central not only to the letter, but to our entire lives, and that at the story of Jesus and the price that he paid, we can actually attain the joy that he spoke about. So... Philippians 4, turn in your Bibles one more page. I'm going to read out of the ESV version, and uh, it will be on the board for those who, who don't have their Bibles here. Philippians 4. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and I long for, my joy and my crown, stand firm in the Lord, my beloved. I entreat Yodia and I treat Sintitia to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, Help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel, together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers, whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and by supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be, known, be, be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. And the God of peace will be with you. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I've learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Yet it was kind of you to share in my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know how that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Evaphrodite the gifts that you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God 
will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet every saint in Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you all. All the saints greet you, especially those in Caesar's household. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirits. Amen. What a powerful passage of scripture. Powerful. Now many of us, me included, would line up at the beginning of a sports game and say, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. How many of you have quoted that scripture? Was it nice to hear the context? Because it's so much different. Or the other one, be anxious for nothing, but in everything with prayer and supplication, make your requests known to God. But we missed the bit at the beginning which said, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. And what I love about Paul is that he, he contextualizes it. And this morning, I want to tell you there's six things I want to pick out of this passage of Scripture that I believe sum up the book of Philippians. The first is interesting. The first is that Paul tells us to stand firm in his foundation. Stand firm in the Lord. But before he tells us to stand firm, he tells us something even, something so wonderful. He says, my brethren, my dearly beloved, my crown, my joy. God sees you as his dearly beloved, his beautiful crown, his joy. That's how God sees you, that you are a son and a daughter and that God wants to whisper that he loves you and he's proud of you. And then he says, stand firm in the Lord and then he says, and be of unity. Now he chose two women in the story. I'm sure it could have been guys, but it was two women. And he says, be of unity, stop disagreeing. And almost what he's saying is that Correct the personal matters because the, the foundation of the gospel is to be of unity, to be like those who helped, to have a lifestyle that reflects God's goodness and God's glory. And then he goes on, he says, and thank Clement and all the fellow workers who worked with him. This is Paul kind of maybe saying, I, I know that your lifestyle was amazing and what you did was incredible, but I didn't remember your name. And so after church, if you come to Pierre and you go, hello, Pierre, how's Elena, how's Elika? And he goes, hi. It's okay, because what Paul was also saying was that their names are written in the book of life. And that when you live according and you stand according to God's word, you have something more wonderful than an accolade of someone remembering your name. You have your name etched in God's book of life. And then at the end of your days, you'll go to heaven and God will say, well done, good and faithful servant. That is the greatest accolade we can have. And so I put on the board a picture there. That was two weeks ago. It's in a beautiful place called Morgan Bay. What a wonderful place. Beautiful. God's most majestic creation. There's a, it's a lovely lagoon. There's, there's nature. There's the sea. And Kate and I were looking, and there on the, on the boat are two of my boys and two of their cousins. And they, oh, what a beautiful picture. They're just on the boat. It looks happy. Glorious, you know. Perfect Instagram post right there. Only when we got a little bit closer did we hear, I want the oil. It's my oil. Get off my boat. I don't want to be at the boat. <laughs> and suddenly the whole picture was, was not right. <laughs> so unfortunately we put the camera down, but the next picture should be the boat being marched up the beach by dad. So you, you're not allowed to use this. And you must go and sit over there and be quiet. And you must sit over there and be quiet and figure it out. And then you can come back and play. And so often, our testimony is robbed because we're not of unity. 
And God's picture is one that is amazing and beautiful and it is life-giving, but our disunity keeps us from operating in the trueness of what God has. So the first is we choose his foundation and we have his unity. The second is we need to rejoice. Rejoice in all circumstances. Rejoice in the Lord and again I say rejoice. Now for most of us, it, saying it once is enough, but Paul is reinforcing that we have to rejoice. It's almost like choose it. No, no, really choose it. Because sometimes rejoicing is not our natural bent because circumstances in life throw things at us that are not naturally those that we rejoice at. But he's saying rejoice in the Lord and again I say rejoice. It's not that we rejoice in the circumstances but we rejoice in the Lord. We rejoice in the Lord. In the book of Psalms it says, this is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it because he made it. And so it's, not rejoicing in the state of the world, but it's rejoicing in the man who made it. And so I see it this way. I see it in celebrating who God is. Rejoice in God. I celebrate who he is. And then I see what he has done. And I say, Lord, what have you done? And let me seek you. Let me seek you before I bring all these other things to you. Let me seek you. Rejoice in the Lord with prayer and supplication. Let's, let's pray. Let's apply. Let's spend time with God. Let's be intentional about it. And then it says, be, uh, be anxious for nothing. Sure, you're gonna have some challenges in life, but if we rejoice in God, we see it differently. And then we share him. And so I've got a little test now. On the next slide, you'll see an, a small mathematical sum. A very small, how many of you are anxious right now by looking at that math sum? Okay, right, so Marie. Bring it on. <laughs> see, a math sum like that, I, I teach... Um, 13 and 14 year olds, and a lot of them will look at that sum and go, I don't even know where to start. I don't know if I start on the left or on the right. I don't know where, where I begin. But what is amazing about this is actually, and most of you have just thrown your hands up and go, I don't know. There's a prize on this. So Mark, what is six times six? 36. So the first part you've got right. Fantastic. Well done. James, what is two times two? What's four times two? Well done, my boy. There you go. It's eight. Okay. Now there's a funny one that has a squiggle with a three on it. And then there's a whole another bunch of sums underneath that. But let me break it right down. What is four times four? Does anybody know? 16. And what's 16 times four? 64. Well done. So they're not such big numbers. But so often what we do is we don't go to the person who created the maths challenge we look around us for answers and most of us are going in the wrong place. Our lives are a little bit like this. We look at it and there's these big challenging or we think they're big and challenging, but God wants to say, let me help you break it down into bite-sized chunks. It's six, it's four, and it's two. And suddenly it's, the problem is not so big anymore. And the order of resolving it, God has because he's the creator of us and of heaven and earth. We need to spend time with our creator so that we can come to the answers that he needs. So the third part is that then Paul references that we need to change our thinking patterns from our thoughts to his thoughts. And it's not that we don't know that we're ignorant of what's happening, but we start to think about the things that God thinks. And I want to, want to highlight the words that he uses. He says, think about those things that are true. Think about those that are honest, those that are just, 
those words that are pure, the words that are lovely, the words that have a good report, the words that are virtuous, and the words that are praiseworthy. Think on those things. How many of us can think on the negative things? All of us. But we need to think of the things that are good and lovely. Now, I want to challenge you is that many of the times the things we think at are those that come often with a little uh, beep, and it usually lights up our cell phones, and suddenly it consumes our thought and actually encourages our anxiety levels, because it just goes bing, 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 and we're constantly becoming more and more anxious by these thoughts that are not necessarily the thoughts that are pure and lovely and a good report, and those thoughts are all in, in here. And spending time in God's word will start us to change our thinking patterns on what is good and of lovely and of praiseworthy. And then Paul says, do these things that I have taught you, so the things you've heard, and then he says, and the things that you have seen in me. And so to change our thinking patterns, we actually have to live them out. We can't just think them or hear them, we have to live them. So pure and lovely thoughts have pure and lovely actions that accompany them. And so part of this is us thinking and doing what God wants us to do. The fourth party then says, he says, rest in God's strength. Paul says that I'm content whether I'm hungry or I'm full, whether I'm rich or I'm poor. He says, I find my contentment in Christ alone in all these situations. And this is hard. But so often we just quote that last bit where it says, um, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. The all things he's talking about is irrespective of the circumstance that we find ourselves, we find our contentment in Christ and then our strength in Christ and then when God provides, it's actually all praise to him, all glory to him. And I think that is so wonderful. And so I wanna use a, a very practical example that God made us as a tripartite, the tri trifactor being, body, soul, and spirit. And so often we want to try and fix our own stuff. And so it's a bit like this fidget spinner over here. And it's made up of three little parts. And so we spend time on our body and we try and work on our body and then we try and push it over, but it doesn't really go anywhere. So we're like, maybe spend some more time on my spirit. So we spend time on our spirit and we try and push it and it, it doesn't really go anywhere. And then we spend time on our mind and we, we spend time learning and, and equipping and, and it still doesn't spin around. But when we look at the middle of who we are and who we were created to be, at the center of all of it is Jesus. And so when we spend time with Jesus, suddenly we can hold on to Jesus. And then when the hand of God starts to spin us, we just move in tune with God and in balance with what God wants us to do. And it touches all three aspects of who we are. So we're not just a one part being, we're, we're a full being. And God is using his strength to move us and to guide us in a way that he wants us to go. And then it says, once we've done these things, it says, he will provide for us. It says, and my God will supply every need according to his riches in glory. <laughs> Paul is the one actually getting the gift here. And he writes back, he says, cool, didn't really need it. But I thank you for it. I, I really appreciate that. But let me, let me tell you something. My God will supply all of your needs. <laughs> I love how God works because so often we think, God, you know, let me help them. But actually, no, no, God, let you help them and may I be the conduit of it. Because at the end of the day, 
then you get all the glory. They get the blessing, I get the blessing, but you get the glory. And so often God's provision works in amazing ways because it's upon our needs, not our wants. And then God gets the glory for both of them. And then finally, Paul ends the letter to the Philippians. He says, final greetings, greet every saint. The brothers who are with you, all the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. And this morning, I don't know a household, I don't know all the households that you're in. I know that some of us live in the household, that they work in the household, every nation, Somerset West, but some of us work in a business, some of us work in a school, some of us work in a hospital, some of us work in different households. And Paul's final encouragement is this, is that when you spend time and the central message of your life is the gospel of Jesus Christ, and you live a practical life that, that shows and lives out Jesus with word and with action, suddenly the, the, the impact is so much bigger and your testimony goes into realms that he could never get to. Paul is sitting in a Roman prison writing a letter to Philippians saying, whatever you're doing, I trust you because God is there. And God is there wherever you guys are at. And so I've asked Elena and team to sing a song. And you'll see on the multimedia, it's very busy. And I think most of us, our lives are very, very busy. And it's, it's, it, it almost distracts us and creates anxiety in who we are. And we're like, Lord, how do, we, how do we get out of this? And I want you to listen to the words. I almost want you to stop looking at the screen because it's so busy. And so often our lives are just like this, that everything in our mind is racing around so fast. But actually what we need to do in that moment is take our eyes off that busyness and put it here on the simplicity of the cross. And then the words of the song is this, is that it's gonna be okay. Just take one step and put it in front of the next one. It's a fight just to keep it together, together. I know you think that you are too far gone. But hope is never lost. Hope is never lost. Stronger than you know. Stronger than you know. 
You know, Paul encourages us that our firm foundation is found in Jesus Christ. He encourages us that our joy is found in Jesus Christ. That our thoughts can be found in Jesus Christ. That our strength can be found in Jesus Christ. That Jesus is the source of all we need. He is our greatest provision. And that our lives can be lived with His grace. And in Philippians 2, it then tells us that we, as His dearly loved children, get the wonderful privilege to be a light to this world. It says that we, that therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my, trem- in my presence, but more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and with trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for His good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or disputing that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and a twisted generation among whom you shine as lights, holding fast to the word of life so that the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Even if I'm to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of the faith, I'm glad and rejoice with all of you. Likewise, you should also be glad and rejoice with me. What a privilege. That beyond the busyness of life, we get to hold on to the hope of Jesus. That we get to hold on to the joy of Jesus. I don't know the circumstances that you're going through, but I can tell you this, that Jesus, but Jesus at the center of it is the hope that holds us all together. He's the central pivot around which our life starts to make sense. And Paul's encouragement is that, is that Philippians Church, keep at it. Keep at it. Because you're a light to the world that so desperately needs it. And when you do it, watch what God can do with your life.